the ability to take some risks because life's short. So everyone's faced tough times in their lives in terms of we've got some family members that have been unwell and you just realise that life's short. I guess the older you get, not to say I'm old, but the older you get, the quicker you realise that life's short and anything could happen, you get hit by a bus tomorrow. So uh, for us, it's just been about taking chances and um, and not being afraid to fail, really. And I think that's a lot of people reflect on the growth of Rostify in the last three years to expand to four different countries with staff everywhere. That How have you been able to do it? And I think the biggest thing is that we haven't been afraid to put ourselves out there. Um, and you need to be selfish in that endeavour a, a little, um, but you hopefully can look back on those times and say that you're proud of them. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with a young entrepreneur who has scaled a global human resource business, grasped the world of volunteering, and works with some of the world's biggest events such as NFL Super Bowl, Ironman Triathlon, Tough Mudder, Commonwealth Games, ICC Cricket World Cup, and Expo 2020 Dubai. He studied a commerce sports management degree at Deakin University before co-founding Event Workforce Group and Rostify. During his career, he has contracted to organizations such as IMG, Ironman, Super Sprint, The Color Run, and Houston Super Bowl 2017. I have the absolute pleasure of introducing a true professional and innovative entrepreneur who loves building motivated workforces and is helping create legacies for major sporting events around the globe. Shannon Gove. Shannon, welcome to the show. Craig, thank you for the very kind introduction, mate. Um, pleasure to be here. Uh, it's, it's good to have you, and uh, we're just it's the start of the new year. Uh, your career as an entrepreneur has accelerated and grown from strength to strength. Before we delve into your world of people, let's take a trip back down uh, memory lane. So where did you grow up and what fueled your day as a child? Yeah, uh, Geelong boy and probably sport was always a thing. Just loved it um, from day one. My dad was always heavily involved with sport and local community. Um, both parents being teachers always had the time off holidays that was always a big part heading down to the beach and great ocean road um and then yeah as i worked worked into the space i realized at university that's all i wanted to do was work in sports and the event space and uh and obviously that holiday trait of being a kid i, I wanted to follow through with that by being able to travel with my work i guess so that's kind of uh, where it all started for me so what kind of sports and fitness did you do during your your younger years uh, always uh, swimming, I uh, love my swimming, and then uh, obviously AFL being down in Victoria, uh, cricket were always probably the three biggest sports for me, but I really tried my hand at everything um, as I grew up. Yeah, so you talked about your parents uh, being teachers, so you know, serving people is kind of in your, in your lifeblood there. You know, was volunteering and, 
and for you getting out there and helping people, was that a big part of your childhood yourself or was it just an environment that you were surrounded by? Yeah, um, it was more the environment we're surrounded by. Uh, all of our family, my aunties and uncle, all of our family friends are all teachers and it's funny that they all probably became friends because they all had the time off together to um, spend that time and, and all of our my close mates now are from that space too in terms of the kids of these parents that uh, had the time on holiday. So we always had the time away together and then probably more so when I got into university, understanding the need of volunteering and getting involved with community was when I started actively being involved myself um, compared to younger age when, to be honest, probably just getting through high school and playing as much sport as possible was more of a priority than doing anything else, um, to be honest. So you stumbled across your business idea while studying at Deakin University in Melbourne, Australia. Can you share with us the backstory on your first business event workforce group? Yeah, um, so that started in 2010 and with my cousin Bennett Merriman who studied uh, sports, commerce sports management with me but two years older than me. Uh, we would, what was it, Melbourne Marathon 2010 Good friend Ben Muldoon and Tom Mitchell were the, I guess, event ops managers down there. Uh, needed some local Deakin University students, so I managed to wrangle in about 30 of my mates to come along in a tram early one morning. Uh, They're all studying sports management, so I guess it was my thought was, well, your IMG running Melbourne Marathon, surely you have a humongous database of young budding students around Australia who want to be involved with your events. And their response was, no, we're good at running events. The last thing we need is pesky 18-year-old kids wanting money and a job to be, uh, I guess, hounding us all the time. So the last thing they wanted to do was manage the workforce side of things. And as a result of that, they kept needing to call up backpackers and random friends of friends in order to get staff for their events. So I guess that's when we we realised that, hey, these events around Australia all need motivated staff to get there. And it's a real problem for organisers, as you've probably experienced in your world of triathlon. It's, it's, it's pretty consistent across all, all worlds. Um, but then on the other hand is there's so many motivated students around the country that were struggling to get experience in particular paid experience and so how do we link those two together and that's how event workforce group started in 2010 um and i guess yeah still runs today as a business that we're a shareholder in but not day-to-day involved in terms of the operations so if you stepped into a lift with this say the uh, ceo of the tokyo 2020 olympic games you know what would your elevator pitch be I guess the, what he, he would be struggling with is going, how do we find people? And so for us, we have 20-odd thousand casual staff on our database, of which 70% of those are actively studying or have been studying or are actively motivated to work in the event space. And so our workforce are passionate about the work they do. And the other part is that if they don't turn up or if they don't do a great job, um, they get feedback after every single shift that they will then be um, moved on to the next one if because there'll be some young budding uh, student ready to take their spot. So it's a very competitive to get a starting lineup for Event Workforce Group. Um, and that's that's our point of difference is that these staff are passionate about the work they do. Oh, brilliant. I like that. So Event Workforce Group has sort of three key areas of academy, talent and technology. Can you explain what each one is and how they connect with each other? 
yeah, it's the talent is, um, I guess, the clients. So that's where they come from. So the opportunities come from. So we staff around 1,500 events a year um, and a lot of Australia's biggest events. So the Australian Open, we'll have three to 400 staff there a day um, playing all types of roles from ushers to gate attendants to um, spruikers out the front um, through to the Grand Prix, which will happen straight after. We'll have, again, 300-odd staff a day doing all those roles. Um, and so that's the, what talent is. That's the positions that are available. And then the academy is where the students are coming from. So as I mentioned, we have 20-odd thousand casual staff on our database around the country and, and all of which coming from university background in sports, events, marketing, you name it. And so that the academy really for us uh, is, is a way to recruit students into the program and then provide them with training and onboarding um, process to make sure they're confident and empowered to do the job they're asked to do uh, and then hopefully creating a great pathway for them to get a full-time job. And if there's one thing that we're proud of, it is those stories of people that have gone from literally zero experience as a 19-year-old university student through to now being a client of ours at the other end as an event manager at it you know, a large scale stadium or event management company um, that are actively now being able to recruit people like they were five or six years ago. And I think that that circle, that life cycle effectively is, is something we're really proud of. And it's pretty natural now that they want to come back and help people because they know what it was like when they were 19. And you've and you got a technology component to that as well. So how does that fit in? Yeah, well, I guess the, the technology is Rostify. And so that's where, um, yeah, to be quite honest, Greg, we probably need to refresh our branding a little there for event workforce groupers. Um, just little context, two years ago, we, we really brought Rostify as part of the event workforce group offering. But then as we grew Rostify internationally, we didn't have the, the staffing you know, operations in America or in, in London. So that's when we decided to really break the two brands apart and um, Event Workforce Group, sure they still do, they're a client of Rostify in a way, but um, the technology offering really is Rostify as a separate business. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So, so uh, you know, you talked about there 20,000 people in your, in your database of your academy. So how do, you, how do you manage to look after so many of them and make sure that they have the skill sets and, and they're onboarded effectively for these events? Yeah, it's probably the number one um, challenge that we have as a business is how do you engage that amount of people when you only have 1,500 events? And the reality is that the best of the best are the ones often taking majority of the shifts because that company has a brand reputation of, of quality, high-quality, high motivated, passionate staff that if you are not at that level, then it's difficult for you to A, get a role and B, stay involved if you are not at that level. And so... The, the result of that is that unfortunately some people miss out or secondly may never get an opportunity which is a real shame because there's probably some real diamonds in the rough that we're missing out on so I guess as we've grown that business the beauty of this of Rostify really is that we've grown this technology platform off the learnings of that staffing company going any major event like a <clears throat> like a Super Bowl will get potentially triple the amount of applications it needs in order to fulfill its requirements, just like a London Marathon or the Ironman, these sorts of things. So how do you, as part of technology, start to build in the screening processes to ensure that by the time you're ready to engage these staff, 
that they should already be screened and background checked and shown that they have put the effort into the recruitment process to show you that when push comes to shove, they're willing to do the work compared to perhaps some staff that we see that might upload a resume and say, give me a job. That's never going to cut uh, get you into the industry when you it's so competitive in this space. Um, so it is a real challenge for us and one that we're always trying to work on. So, you, you know, you talked about some of your companies there in, in 1,500 events. So who was your first sort of breakthrough clients and how did that come about? Well, it was the Melbourne Marathon in 2010. Um, and the second one was the PGA. It was actually the, the, the Golf of the Masters and then the President's Cup, actually, funnily enough, which was back around um, last, last end of last year. Um, and then the third was actually um, Big Day Out. So the guys from Big Day Out, the music festival, happened to be the site managers at, uh, or safety managers at Melbourne Marathon, and they said, hey, you've got these young motivated kids that are actually happy to run around and do some hard work. Um, can we come, can we have them a big day out? And that's, it just continued to flow from there. So you just continued to show up. And the important part was that we as the business owners were always working at these events um, to uphold, I guess, the, the quality of our staff and the work we did. But it also enabled us to be there for when that question got asked, hey, where do you guys come from? Would you like to work at this next thing? And it's, I guess a big learning for us across our career is that just never take anything for granted. Like a small conversation with someone to say, hey, that looks cool, could end up being your largest clients in the next year. You just never know it. So you've got to treat everyone equally in those things because they, they come, but great opportunities come from random situations. They definitely do. So, you know, obviously all these big events, they require casual staff and they support the logistics and operational tasks over just a few short days. So say if I am coming onto the event workforce group and I'm wanting to apply, how does the process work for me applying to when I'm actually um, put into a position at an event? Yeah, um, so it's all online and you can obviously register through the website, um, ewg forward slash academy and, and through there, once you've registered, um, will be sent prompts from your portal. So you'll get access to your online portal page where you can access some online training and some inductions and some briefing material that you need to complete. And then from there, you'll progress through to be asked to do certain tasks. For example, if you were to apply for a bar staffing role, then you'll need to do particular training or have a previous experience in that particular training. And then the reality is it's about getting your first opportunity and doing a really great job from that and doing an outstanding work to make sure your team leader can notice that opportunity, uh, notice that work that you do to give you some great feedback. And then from there, our team sit down every Monday morning and collate that feedback. And then what the team do internally is, is we have groups of workforce. So we'd have hundreds and hundreds of different segments of workforce, like ones to watch as an example. So someone that might've done one or two shifts did a great job. Let's, let's start to give these guys some more opportunities when, when the timing's right. And then they do a great job in that. Then we'll progress them up to the next grouping. And this is all kind of behind closed doors in a way as a business operation. And we need to start to communicate that more clearly to the workforce around where they're at in the recruitment process. Um, and there's some things that we're working through at the moment. Okay, so if we look at, say, Rostify and, you know, when you built that software, how easy was it to for you to scale that process from a small local event 
um, to say something like a large international series or an event overseas away from Australia? Uh, for for Rostify, that is, sorry? Yeah, yep. Yeah, um, it's, it's an interesting one because we never plan to sell Rostify or, or have Rostify as a business. We only created Rostify because we were managing thousands of workforce and we're in spreadsheets pulling our hair out and there was two reasons. One is we're wasting too much time in spreadsheets and I guess ultimately costing the business money because you had to employ a lot more people to do the work uh, manually. So that was one problem we had. The second problem we had was that our workforce weren't getting a great experience because they'd have to, for example, re-register every time for an opportunity so there's no consistency on their profile, meaning that if Craig did a great job last Saturday, if he had to re-register again for next weekend, I wouldn't know who he is or what he did last weekend. So, um, And the second part of that for, from the student perspective is that we built this business to provide that student a pathway to get into the roles that they're passionate about. So, for example, if you didn't care for back-of-house operations roles, then you shouldn't need to be applying or put into roles that you don't want to be involved with. So we wanted to build a portal page where people could log on, see what roles they were attracted to and a future in those roles, and then progress and apply for those roles that suited their skill set and what they wanted to. So that's why we built Rostify for Event Workforce Group initially. And then it came to 2015 that friends at Cycling Australia actually contacted us and said, hey, can we use this system you've built because we're facing the same problem you are. And uh, I guess that's how it all started initially for us to, to get our first client, which was, uh, I believe, the Mountain Mountain Bike World Cup up in Cairns um, with some good friends that were the administrators there. Yeah, okay, excellent. So, so building a workforce database in Australia is much easier than building one worldwide where you have different... Uh, people speak different languages, people have different expectations of events. So how did you approach the business from a global perspective versus that local um, side of things? Yeah, I guess, and this is where the, the two businesses ultimately um, split in the way of focus for us. We, we realized that, I mean, we did all the market research. We, we know that Event Workforce Group would work in the UK and it would work in the US. Um, but in terms of focus for us we decided to focus on rostify as a business and and i guess the mindset there was going because initially like i said we didn't plan on selling rostify and to be honest one of the selfish thoughts there was well if all of our clients start using rostify a, a workforce management system to cut down the time they're using recruiting managing staff then why would they ever use our staffing business event workforce group and that was the initial thought in 2015. And then I guess we needed to kick ourselves in the bum a bit and realize that, hey, we, we don't need to be the ones managing this. We can now empower volunteer managers all around the world to do a better job of the way they do it and cut the time they're spending copying and pasting from emails, BCCing everyone, trying to remember names of their thousands of volunteers. We can give them a platform like Rostify and I guess empower and increase the, um, the or benefit the way that the volunteering community works around the world. And, and that's why Rostify um, has grown globally is because it's technology and it can expand much more easier than building up a workforce database that you really need to manage closely in every single country. 
Okay, so, so now, so looking at, you know, you've, you've set up these two businesses, um, you've sold Rostify, um, and so, so where do you currently sit? So what's your role right now with, do you have uh, still a role in both organizations, uh, both companies? How, how does that work? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, I'm absolutely full-time Rostify, and that is our core focus as a business. Event Workforce Group, we are the majority shareholders in that business, but day-to-day -day we're not involved. Um, that's run by Geordie Miles, miles per hour, um, as a, an event staffing business in Australia. But Rostify as a white-labeled workforce management technology is a global business um, that I'm focused on day-to-day. -day. And my responsibility is, I guess, ensuring that we can reach the amount of customers that we believe we can as a business all around the world. Um, we've got local, I guess, sales staff and account support staff in the US, in the UK and in the um, in Dubai as well that, I guess, report into me daily around how we can increase our, our reach globally. And, and how do you find managing a global team versus one that same all in the same office as you would have started out in Australia? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's tough. Um, it's been, we've been doing it for probably three years now uh, and reality is there's a lot of early mornings and a lot of late nights um but i'm sure we'll get to it shortly in terms of um where we're at personally but i've just had our first baby the levy's come along uh, at the end of last year and i guess that puts a lot of things into perspective around the time you're spending at night time when probably previously i would have just jumped on calls till 10 p.m most nights with the work we do in the uk and through europe and and that was probably very normal for me but now having the little one at home, it sort of um, really puts into perspective that maybe Monday nights I'm doing that and maybe Wednesday nights I'm doing that, but I, I make sure I designate some time that's um, to me and to my family. Yeah. So we will go into that a little bit later on in the show. So, so how, you know, you, your co-founder for uh, Event Workforce Group was um, your, was it, I think your cousin, Bennett. Yeah, uh, yeah, Bennett. So is he still working with you in Rostify? Yeah, I guess we've all pro all progressed over to Rostify. And so Bennett and I um, are the co-founders of Rostify, along with, um, so we have a third co-founder in Rostify, uh, and that's Chris Grant, who's based, who's an Australian guy. He's the technology side, so I guess the three of us um, all have our unique skill sets we bring to the table, and Chris has been the one that's built Rostify from day one in 2015. Uh, back then, it was as a university project, and now he's, full-time looking after all clients around the world, basically, and, and the Dubai World Expo is basically his biggest client that he focuses on. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's the three of us in the business at the moment uh, as a majority shareholders. So if I was to speak with Bennett, how would he describe your leadership style and how would you describe his? Yeah, uh, so Bennett's, Bennett, it's, it's funny being a founder of a business because you need to play lots of roles. Uh, and no one in particular teaches you anything about, I guess, HR and um, managing workforce and understanding individual motivation. So I think Bennett and I would have we've learned a lot in the last two years uh, as our staff has grown from probably three or four staff 18 months ago to close to 20 staff now, um, yeah, I guess, early 2020. And so how does Bennett manage? We're both very different individuals in terms of what our skill sets are. So maybe for, for the way I like to lead, I'm very open about 
maybe what things I can improve on. So I, I guess I like to work at a pretty fast pace and I prefer to take risks and if things blow up, then they do, but you learn from it. And so the way I lead really is about showing people that it's okay to take, take risks and take things on as long as you're learning from these things and making sure that others can learn from that as well because the more others can see that you are trying and pushing all the time, and sure, you might be making mistakes. At least you're doing it um, for the best of business and you, you're really trying to grow. So that's probably the way that I lead is real, really open and um, open to feedback, that sort of way. Um, how Bennett likes to lead is um, very empathetic in terms of understanding staff and spending a lot of time with them uh, where probably I whisk over things a little more than traditionally than, than what Bennett does. Um, and he's a very good leader in the way that he spends time with staff, understands their motivations, um, and I guess details that and puts a real priority on understanding the individual um, very well. So why do you think the three of you work so well together? Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting. It's because um, the three of us are all very different. I've heard lots of horror stories of business co-founders that have all split up because they're all the same. Um, and the three of us are all very different in the way that we, we operate. And I guess the, the reality is Chris is over in New York and he's very much day-to-day -day focused on the technology platform. And so his leadership, he would love probably to have more time to be involved with leadership in the business where he would tell you the same thing, that he is so focused on the platform and the growth of it that he probably doesn't have the time. To, to lead effectively, and in particular living over in New York. So it kind of separates him a little in that sense. Um, yeah, I think that's that's probably the biggest thing for Chris in particular. So the, the world of volunteers is you know absolutely massive. You know, hundreds of millions of people volunteer for events, organizations, community groups every year. So for you, you know, you've worked with huge international events such as the 2018 Commonwealth Gold Coast Commonwealth Games, ICC Cricket World Cup, and then obviously you've got the Expo Dubai coming up uh, later this year. You, what is involved from, say, a Rostify point of view when planning for and developing out at a major international event? Yeah, it's it's significant, the work that has to happen. Um, I don't think people give enough credit to the workforce programs of these major events. Um, all too often we're getting the call a few months out from a major event and their spreadsheet's blown up or their registration system as an example where they thought they could do volunteer management, they've realized that it doesn't work. And unfortunately, we're often getting a call a little too late. But um, a really good example would be a Dubai World Expo, which is, I think, I believe it's about the largest mobilization of mass workforce anywhere in the world. So they're going to have over a million volunteer shifts across the span of the event. Uh, and they've been working solidly for the last two years heavily on, on the volunteer program and the steps that volunteers need to take from the initial registration all the way through to the post-event appreciation and, and celebration parties. And there are tens and tens and tens of steps that are involved with that and all are involved with technology to automate the process. Uh, the reality with these big programs is that there's only a couple of full-time staff that are responsible for the thousands, tens of thousands, um, and with Expo, potentially up to hundreds of thousands of volunteers that are involved um, that all have their individual motivations. So you need a technology solution to ensure that 
people are kept up to date, communications are increased, volunteers understand where they're at through the process. I think that's a really important one that a lot of people maybe rest on their laurels in, in major event workforce management, accepting applications and then holding their breath and hoping that they turn up on the Sunday morning when all that person's received is the thank you for applying maybe a month or two months prior to the event. And then the volunteer manager sits back and hopes that they turn up um, where I guess we've tried to build in a lot of um, automated communications uh, to make that happen. So how does the system cope with managing those people who don't show up with their sick or whether they just can't be bothered or something else um, comes up? Yeah. yeah, and that's traditionally been a problem in volunteer management. And to be honest, it's, it's a real reason why we developed Rostify as a, as a system. Um, I think a really good example would be there's some major events around the world that have had 30 to 40% drop-off rates in their volunteer programs. And when you're talking about tens of thousands of people, that's thousands of individual shifts and responsibilities that get thrown out the window. Um, and that ultimately ends up in a cost to the business because then you need to bring in paid staff to fill those roles. A, a really great example is a client of ours, the Super Bowl this year in Minnesota. For 35,000 volunteer shifts, we're able to have a 98% turn up rate um, through Rostify. And incredible. Probably three key reasons for that is number one is keeping the work, as I touched on before, but number one is keeping workforce um, engaged through the whole process. So for a Super Bowl, it's a 12 month process from February to February um, is when applications open to when the event time happens. So you got 12 months worth of keeping someone motivated about why they're going to turn up in eight months, nine months, 10 months time. So those those comms need to be automated. The second one is about this, the screening and the role allocation. You need to get people into roles that they're actually passionate about and want to do. So when they're volunteers, they're not getting paid for this. So if you're put on the back car park roles, which you couldn't care less about when you applied to be, you know, Super Bowl front gate attendant, you're probably not going to turn up. So you need to be really clear about the roles and positions that are available to those individuals and really cater to that individual motivation as to why they're going to be there. And then thirdly, and there's so many more, but another third one would be the, I guess, incentive and reward and recognition elements. So they've been, we've learnt a lot from the major events we work with, but there's so many elements of, you know, for example, when you complete an interview, maybe you get a reward. When you pick up your uniform, maybe that's the next badge that you get. And then your second shift and so on. There's, there's incentives that you can tick along the way so that volunteers are really proud about what they can take out of that experience. And that's something I believe the Super Bowl do very well is that the, the volunteers leave that experience of 12 months going, you know what, I've actually achieved something here and here's what I've got to show for it uh, compared to other volunteer programs that might send a BCC thank you if they're lucky. Um, and then they wonder why the volunteer doesn't come back the next year. And so there's a bit of gamification in there and, and obviously um, making sure that they're getting gratification from, from yeah. their experience. Big time, absolutely. So, you know, when you talked about, you know, say the Super Bowl, for instance, how would you determine the success of an event? Well, you know, what sort of KPIs are you looking at from a success point of view from Rostify? Yeah, I guess if we, for us, 
the event would be too broad. We really just focus on the workforce program, given that's our remit and that's what we can control, what we can control. Um, number one would be ensuring, I guess we really try and take as much information as we can from client to client to say, for example, with the ICC, the T20 World Cup in Australia at the moment, they launched with us, call it six months ago, but we just finished the ICC Cricket World Cup uh, in the UK in June. So from that experience, we can ensure that we can set some KPIs of success off the back of an event that is similar to them to ensure, for example, they're, they're getting the registrations they need. So how do you promote your event the best way possible through the platform to ensure you're getting the volunteer numbers? The next would be making sure that communication's clear enough for your key milestones, so for your interviews or your accreditation photo uploads, these sort of things. So you're setting these KPIs from day one to go, we need to achieve, for example, a 75% upload of photos for accreditation by this date. Um, and our account managers will work closely with the workforce manager to make sure that they are doing that. And if they're not, how do we learn from other clients and speak to our internal team about what would we recommend in order to hit that? And then ultimately the biggest one is the attendance rates. And this is for the major events, but for the recurring events, which is majority of our clients, it's actually about what is the retention number of volunteers that are coming back the next time. Because the last thing in volunteer management you wanna be doing is working your ass off for 12 months and then needing to start from scratch again the next year. And so how do we make that a legacy from that major event or or how do those volunteers feel really connected and want to bring more people along the next time to the event that happens in the following year? And retention is so powerful as a recruitment tool, you know, like not, not just to make a sustainable event, but for recruitment, right? Yeah, big time. And it's, it's, it's so many people I've looked at, in my opinion. Everyone's very short-term focused around, I just need to get 100 people this for this event. And then they somehow the blame goes back and the volunteers, oh, they're unreliable, they're not coming back next time. Well, what processes have you put in place to make sure they feel like they're empowered, they've done a great job, um, and that they are involved with the event to bring others along? So what messaging uh, can you put out there to ensure those people feel like they are in integral to the event's success? Because if they're just standing holding a flag for seven hours on the side of a marathon, I, what what makes them feel special about that? So you need to really connect them back to the event and, and make sure they feel appreciated um, and those incentives and rewards that are a small way to doing that. Talking about incentives and rewards, uh, you've developed a white paper on event workforce management. So, so what is this all about and, and who is it for? Yeah, I guess what we found is that everyone, like I was just summarizing, that everyone moves from event to event. Everyone's pretty short-term focused. They'll finish their contract, they'll move on to the next Com Games or the Super Bowl or the Olympics. But no one really has time to sit down and put their thoughts into a document. And so what we found is every major event we kept talking to, they would understand maybe the first quarter of it. So they might, they might understand the recruitment process of how a major event works, but they don't understand maybe the how to manage uniforms or inventory management. Or, or maybe they don't understand the demand module, like how do you actually build the demand and understand how many shifts and individuals you need 
So what we decided was we, we went out to our network and our extended network to find out specialists in those probably 10 key steps is what we highlighted. And we interviewed those people and allowed them to put their input into this one document. So for any major event or really anyone in volunteer management wanting to learn a little bit more about this from really the world's best workforce managers, in our opinion, uh, that's why we put this together and it's a, a free document for anyone to, to, I guess, have a read of and hopefully I can learn something from. And, and if people are wanting to you know, get to see that white paper, uh, how can people access it? Yeah, just on rustify.com. So you'll very clearly see what the section for white papers and uh, through this year we'll be putting out a lot more um, and in particular in different verticals that we work in, like charities, not-for-profits, in the university sector, in the cities and legacies. We, we really want to provide value um, just given we have such great exposure to such incredible minds really and to pick those brains and they they love the experience as well and i'm sure you find it from the podcast is that not often do you get the time to actually think about these things and your guests on this podcast would, would probably be the same that um, they actually quite enjoy spending the time to um, help share that knowledge because everyone does want to help it's just about how what's the best channel or avenue to do that and hopefully we're trying to create one here so many people normally spend some time in the corporate or working for someone else first before they become an entrepreneur. You know, for you, the entrepreneurship world expanded very quickly. You know, so did you have like a, a team of mentors who supported you or, or someone that sort of gave you that advice um, from the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey, journey or did you just run with it the whole way through? <laughs> a combination, I think. Um, we... It's funny, it's like because we're at university, there wasn't much to lose is probably the easiest way to put it. It wasn't like I had my daughter at home now, my wife to support. I I knew that there was a need there. And the second part of it is that I was really passionate about it. I was passionate about the space we we're working in and I was passionate about the students like myself because I was one of them to go, hey, there are a lot of people out here that need experience and no one knows where to go. So, and hey, I can't find anything that's going to help us. So why can't we create it? And that was, it, to, it never really felt like we were taking a risk. It was more going, oh, wow, we just won that contract. Cool, let's, let's get the next one. It was never a time where we were like, wow, this is incredible what we're building. Um, and so as a business has grown, sure, sometimes you take a step back and you sort of reassess and you have a look at things but and throughout this whole process we've had great mentors and people that have helped us because the reality is we don't know the answers to every question like every day we're confronted with a new situation that we've never seen before or been confronted with and so we have consultants and friends in the industry that we bounce off all the time um, because we if you can learn from someone else's mistakes then I think that's a better way than learning from your own so we try and uh get as much information around the table as we possibly can. So you talked about there early, you know, you've got a young, young daughter and, but you, you know, you're working some long hours when you're dealing with uh, a global workforce. So how do you manage that? Your, what you do at work, what you do with your family, um, keeping yourself active and a bit of time for yourself. Yeah, it's, um, I won't tell you, I've got a silver bullet. I'm still working through it. Um, and my wife would agree with that, that uh, 
over our time. I mean, I, I'm very lucky that I've got a very supporting wife and she's been with me from day one uh, of when we had Event Workforce. And it was a small event company flying on the Tiger flights around Australia, trying to just do everything we could, spending every weekend away. So I, I'm lucky that I've got a supportive partner in that sense that's been there through everything. But I guess now it's a more self-reflection with Evie coming around to go, I'd much prefer to be at home. Um, not that I don't want to be there with my wife, of course, but uh, this it's just a new refreshment to go, uh, I really need to structure my work days a bit better. And so I think what a plan will be is I'll be spending two days working from home, um, so probably a Monday and a Friday. So I get to spend four days with the girls. And then for my UK calls, really try and limit them to a couple of nights a week. And Al knows that if I'm to do that, then maybe I'll, I'll be on calls till 11 p.m. at night. But that means on the Tuesday night that I won't be on calls. So really trying to build some structure around that. Um, and your second point was that around uh, how to, I guess, look after myself as well, was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's something that across the last few years can easily fall to the wayside when you travel a lot in particular. I found that why have a gym membership when you're just going to travel again next month? That's that was kind of my mentality. But um, again, you just got to get into it. And so the last two months, I've been going to the gym every morning before work. Just if if nothing else, more as a mental release um, to go with your mate and have a chat to him and um, sweat it out. I think is it's really changed me for the positive, and I've. I highly recommend to anyone that if you're really grinding or working extremely hard on something, that just to put an hour aside in the morning to even if you're not working out, but just to spend some time with yourself or a mate just to talk about something that's not work and talk about something that's completely random to what you're doing is, is great to get your head out of the, the daily grind. Otherwise, your weeks will just fly by and you won't connect with anyone or talk about things that really matter in life to your friends and family. And I think that's that's been a great thing for me in the last two months in particular um, is getting back into a bit of a routine of fitness in that space and I feel much better mentally for that. Very good. So, so we all know smart people have great answers, but the successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Well, I've spoken about her a bit, but our, our, our baby girl, Evie, her first time for a, for a child for us, and, and that uh, has been a real eye-opener for us in a super positive way. So that's, that's probably my response to that, and I'm uh, very thankful for it. What is the one question that you would love to solve? Um, I think for as a small business owner, it's about how to get everyone on the same page about what you're trying to achieve. I think it's really difficult for me with the team all around the world. How do you celebrate all your successes when you're all working different time zones and working extremely hard? So that's always been a question we've been asking internally is about how do you ensure everyone's on the same page about success and celebrating those? So that's a challenge for us and one that we're working on every single day. Nice. For you, what is your definition of living an extraordinary life? Yeah. Um, well, number one for me is just, 
and I'm sure all of your guests would say this, but your, your family and friends is the number one. And then off the back of that is just the ability to take some risks because life's short. So everyone's faced tough times in their lives in terms of we've got some family members that have been unwell and you just realise that life's short. I guess the older you get, not the same old, but the older you get, the quicker you realise that life's short and anything could happen, you get hit by a bus tomorrow. So uh, for us, it's just been about taking chances and um, and not being afraid to fail, really. And I think that's a lot of people reflect on the growth of Rostify in the last three years to expand to four different countries with staff everywhere. That How have you been able to do it? And I think the biggest thing is that we haven't been afraid to put ourselves out there. Um, and you need to be selfish in that endeavour a, a little, um, but you hopefully can look back on those times and say that you're proud of them. So I think it's about if you're stuck in a rut or you, you're just plodding along that you can really break it up and have confidence to go out on a limb and try something new. So that's something we've always lived by at Rostify is to, you know, be confident in what you're doing. And if you stuff it up, then learn from it. But just don't ever stop. Just keep pushing. So before we finish here, you know, I'd just like to ask one more question around that is, you know, for you, what do you think has been uh, the most rewarding risk that you've taken that hasn't worked? Yeah, good question. Look, there's heaps. <laughs> there's, there's heaps of things that haven't worked. Um, um, I guess from a business perspective, the biggest thing right now would be that we're about to launch what we call Rostify 2 which is a total refresh of the platform. And that has been something building for 16, 18 months. But we thought that it would be ready in June and then August and then September and then December. And then we realized there's probably going to be March. And so we're like, is, has this all been worth it? And we're, we'll find out. And I really do think it will. But if you had have asked me this in June, I would have been impatient and said, well, why are we doing this? But I think I'm just learning that sometimes good things take time and that's the reality of building a business. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably, I'd say in hindsight, it probably hasn't worked in terms of our deadlines we thought internally, but that's just the reality of a business that grows with priorities. So let, let's see how that goes, but we feel really good about it for what it will be. It's just taken a little longer um, than what we initially thought. Uh, you provided some great gems there today and some great insights into you know, growing a business from a young age. So how can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, look, LinkedIn uh, is probably the best place um, to contact me. So Shannon Gove, I'm sure my name, name will be there. So um, that's the best way to find me on LinkedIn. Feel free to send me a message. Always happy to chat to anyone. Um, and that's probably the, the most simple way. I'll, I'll upload, I have a few podcasts that I've been on I'll upload them onto my LinkedIn account as well. Um, and that's probably the easiest way. Yeah, excellent. So we'll get those into the show note. So Shannon, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. You know, I've enjoyed listening to your, you know, your background where you grew up and amongst a whole family of teachers and people that were serving the community uh, to, you know, finding something that a real need for something in the in the event space in the sporting world while you're at university and just taking that risk and jumping in and creating your own business and from there you know a platform and being able to sell those off at quite a young age 
To see you now going, okay, how do we go to the next level with what we have? So how do we take Rostify to 2.0? And you're being prepared to, to take those risks, to fail often, and then you know get to a point where you're like, is it all worth it? But have faith in, in the small and, and knowing that the big will come later on. Yeah. You've, you've been able to work with some major events and gain some valuable insights. And you know, for what you're doing for the community in the space of the sport management industry where people now have an opportunity to get that experience and, and to, you know, there's a pathway for people, whereas before people were like scattered and going off from all different places, not sure whether it would actually lead to something useful or fruitful in the future. So thanks so much for sharing those insights and some great lessons there today. And we look forward to seeing Rostify 2.0 come out in the next um, next few months. And, um, you know, all the best from the Active CEO listeners. Thank you so much for having me, mate. Um, and all the best to you too. Have a great 2020. On today's Active CEO performance tip, we're talking about build your own tribe to upgrade yourself. The recent events have led to a lot of self-reflection. You realize you need to upskill and upgrade, but you don't feel like you have the right people around you to make the change. Who are the mentors, coaches, and people in your proximity? Here are three ways that can help you develop their proximity and make sure you surround yourself with the right people. Number one, Identify and write down a list of every skill you want to upgrade. Number two, write down a list of people and or the types of people you need in your proximity to upgrade those skills. And number three, write down three curious questions that you would like to ask each person and make a phone call or send an email and ask for a virtual coffee. So how are you gonna build your own tribe? to upgrade yourself. Thank you for listening to a brilliant conversation with Shannon Gove on episode 98, Building Motivated Workforces on the Active CEO Podcast. Are you role modeling healthy habits as a leader? Do you want to make a difference in your company, team, community, or family? Be the role model of when you send emails, make phone calls, go to bed, start the day with exercise, eat healthy food, and spend time with family. Try asking yourself the following questions. Will this improve my health and immune function? Number two, will this help me to be a high performing leader? And number three, Will this action or task or habit allow me to be more productive? If you'd like someone to review your habits and ensure that you are modeling a healthy, productive, and high-performing leadership, then please contact me at craig at nrg2perform.com or click on our contact page on the wwwnrg 2 perform.com website. I'm Craig Johns. This is the Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. 
That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.